right, sweetie, time to head home. Hold it right there. Wait just one minute. We're here to talk about something super important. Seatbelt safety. Woohoo! Oh, hello. What's all the fuss about? Well, ma'am, we're here to warn you and your little hero about seatbelt safety. Hey, Mom, why are seatbelts so important? Oh, buckle up, kiddo. Seatbelts keep us safe in case of an accident. They're like our superhero shields. Exactly. They protect us from getting hurt and keep us in place from sudden stops and turns. That's really good to know. Safety first, right? Hey, Mom, that gives me a great idea. I'll always remember to click that belt. Now that's the spirit. Remember, superheroes always buckle up. And remember, it's not just for superheroes. Everyone should buckle up and stay safe. Click that, click that, click that belt. Click that, click that, click that belt. Click that, click that, click that belt. Remember, even if it's just you or your friends and family too, every time you're riding in a car, whether it's near or far, make sure you hear the sound of that seatbelt going down. We got one thing to say, and it's gonna be heartfelt. When you go for a ride, make sure you click that belt. Brought to you by One Way Publishing for Safer Highways. And that's your tip of the day to get you on your way. Black and Blue, the podcast that's just for you. We bring solutions to everyday problems. We are here to humanize the badge. By interviewing first responders and discussing their trainings, experiences, and publications. Black and Blue airs weekly at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Tune in.
Let's go start the show. And we are live, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Thank you guys for tuning in for another weekly episode of Black and Blue, where we go live at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And when we go live, we have a special guest, and I got a, a, a special guest for, with us right now. We're going to have a dynamic show, all right? When we go live, we, I have a special guest who is a first responder or in law enforcement, and we discuss their training, their experiences, or their publications, whether they're rookie, whether they're seasoned, or retiree. So we got a dynamic show ahead of us. I'm Coach Clee. I'm your motivational speaker, your empowerment coach, your author, and your favorite baker's favorite baker. Again, thank you for tuning in. We're going to have a lot of fun today, okay? We are streaming on five different platforms, all right? So I don't know who's actually on here unless you put your name and where you're from in the comment section. Also, this is live and interactive. So if you have a question, put your question in the comment section, and we'll address it as, as soon as we can. Understand it's about maybe a 10-second maybe a delay from the time that you post until the time that I see it. And we might be on to a topic, but we will get to that question or comment as soon as we can. The pl five different platforms we're on, we're on two on Facebook, we're on two on YouTube, and one on LinkedIn. So make sure you guys hit that subscribe button, hit that like button all the way through. That keeps the algorithm going and keeps the show going. I have a lot of fun doing this. I have a lot of fun bringing people to you who are first responders or in law enforcement. And of course, their stories, they're, they're, we, our attempt is to humanize the badge. And that's what we're the mission that we're trying to do and get those experiences out there. And in the course of doing so, we're, we, we bring people on the platform. This platform is sponsored by One Way Publishing. One Way Publishing is the publishing company. Of course, I wrote my five books. A few of them are behind me, and they have other clients that wrote their books through them. Their motto is if you, they can turn a mere thought into a book that's bought, bought. So if you ever thought about writing your own book, make sure you contact them. The website's scrolling below. It's also in the comment section if you want to do so, whether it's your own personal book, nonfiction, fiction, uh, a biography, autobiography, a cookbook, children's book, whatever you think, whatever you want to get done, it can get done right there through One Way Publishing, all right? But that's enough about me explaining it. Just one more video. I'm going to get One Way Publishing to explain that. Also, if you're looking to be a guest on the show, that's where you want to go ahead and, and do fill out the um, the registration form there. If you're looking to do voiceovers for Sardin Be Safe, it's, again, that same location. But stand by. Have you ever wanted to explain something, tell a story, or leave a piece of you behind? Have you ever wanted to write your own book, but not specifically know how to do it? Well, get ready. One Way Publishing's here. We can turn a mere thought into a book that's bought. People need to learn from you. They need to hear that story. Kids need to read that book. Imagine if you wrote your own children's book and get to read it to your kids. Here at One Way Publishing, we can get your fiction, nonfiction, fantasy, instructional, what have you, done. All at a reasonable price and definitely a reasonable time frame. And if you don't believe me, ask Sergeant B. Safe. He's working on his right now. He's definitely writing the best chapter of his life. Make sure you check out his cartoon skits that air on the podcast, Black and Blue. As Sergeant B. Safe said, that's your tip of the day to get you on your way.
And there we go. The sponsor of the show. You know, we got to get that grifting out of the way, got it out of the way early. So that way we can start the show. You know, we got to put the, the information out there. And then now we're going to have fun. We're going to jump right into it. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, some of you may know the guests that I already have. A lot of you may have heard his name, have seen him on YouTube or different other social media platforms or even mainstream media platforms as well. He's retired as of 30 years in service. He retired at the rank of major uh, Oklahoma, Oklahoma, uh, Tulsa Police Department. He's made, made the rank of major. Like I said, he's also an international trainer of the year for through Ilita. He's worked as such patrols, gangs, media relations, training and planning and special ops throughout the course of his career. He's received the Medal of Valor throughout the course of his career. He's editor in chief and director of the media out i'm sorry of the training for law enforcement officers magazine he's also been on media outlets such as cnn usa today and the associated press and yes i'm reading it because the accolades are long and long and he's very deserving of them he's also the the author of this book i got my own copy make sure you guys get your own uh, the uh, courageous police leader mind it can you see it i know it's a little may have a glare got it there it got the signed copy through him and it's a great book it's informative and it's instructional ladies and gentlemen boys and girls i'm going to bring this video to the stage we got dr travis yates that little cute guy right there is me that's when i had hair a bigger guys my father my father was a marine corps veteran he played division one college football and he volunteered to go to Vietnam. He could have opted out because of his scholar scholarship, but he, like many heroes of the day, he went to Vietnam, came back and served with the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department for a time, and then ended up in Fort Smith, Arkansas, and retired after 27 years. And he didn't say much. He was one of these sort of quiet, humble leaders we talked about today. You know, nowadays, if you don't have an Instagram account, and you're not writing articles and teaching, well, who are you? Let me tell you something. Most of our great leaders aren't doing any of that, folks. Some of them are you, some of them are not you, but most folks you're never going to read about. They're just leading every day, and that's what he was. And I uh, decided to go into law enforcement. He didn't say much to me. I went to college, he just asked me to go to college. I went to college, and then I entered the police academy, and I graduated the police academy in September of 1990. He still hadn't said much to me. In fact, he was so nonchalant about it, I never really shot a gun before I went to the police academy. He didn't push me to do anything one way or the other. And I'm graduating the police academy and you pick someone to pin the badge on you. Some of you have done this before. And my father, who was about my age now, walks up to me to pin my badge on. And I think to myself, this is it. This great leader, this man, that, this man of men, this man that I look up to is gonna give me the words of wisdom to lead to do, to, to be successful in this career like he's been. What will those words of wisdom be? What's he gonna say to me? This is all he said. Wow, if I'd have showed you that slide the first day, it'd been a pretty short day. That's all he said. I've tried to live every day of my life since with those words in my head and put my feet on the ground in the morning. And I've tried to live that out and I have not always been successful. We're not perfect beings, but when I messed up, I made a commitment to get up the next day and be perfect again. And that's what I'll leave you with today. Not all of us are gonna be perfect leaders. Not all of us are gonna treat everybody with great dignity and respect. Unlike Chick-fil-A employees, we have bad days. But I'm gonna ask you to keep this in your memory as you go out there today. Treat others the way you wanna be treated. And if we did that collectively as a profession, as leaders, how great can we be?
thank you so much for having me today. And there we have it. That is inspiring in itself. I had to share that. Uh, I hope you guys, have, if you haven't seen that clip before, there you have it. And I'm going to bring him to the stage right now. Travis, are you there? Coach Clee, how are you, sir? I'm wonderful. I'm wonderful. How are you? Man, I am pumped. I'm with the Coach Clee. I feel <laughs> like I have made it, my man. This is awesome. Oh, so thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Yeah, I appreciate it very much. I, I feel like I've made it to get you on the platform. Oh, You're blessed. It. You're doing tremendous things. Uh, you're a leader out here in this profession for so many more, many decades, and I'm excited to have you. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, please? We heard a little bit about it in that clip. I, I did not intend to go into law enforcement, even though I grew up in a law enforcement family. My father was in law enforcement. Mm -hmm. And I, uh, at 19 years old, I did a ride along. Uh, and everybody there listening understands what that is. And I'll never forget it. Like it was just one of these perfect ride-alongs, right? Where all the stars aligned and everything happened. I remember looking over at the guy going, they, do they pay you for this? And he's <laughs> like, yeah, they pay us. Every two weeks a check drops. I said, this is what I'm going to do. And I changed my degree in college, totally changed the trajectory of my life. I wouldn't be here today without that ride-along. And, uh, you know, I just, I applied everywhere. I ended up uh, getting hired in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I wasn't from Tulsa, didn't know a soul. Mm -hmm. and just ended up here at 21 years old patrolling downtown tulsa pretty surreal and pretty crazy and really didn't know anybody all i knew is what i sort of grew up with clee my dad just worked hard and tried to treat people right mm -hmm. and uh, i blink and i i rose to the ranks to the rank of uh, major or commander uh there were eight commanders if people are listening to different departments our department was structured in the, the ranks above uh, major were chief so it was uh you know i, I rose up and we i ran a division i was there at that rank for about 10 years Okay. And um, and just recently retired for 30 years in July and just, you know, really had a dream career. Uh, like any job, you have ups and downs, but uh, I got an opportunity to do a lot of a lot of neat stuff on the department. And then at some point, about 22, 23 years ago, uh, people started calling me and wanted me to come train them. I didn't even know that was a thing. I'm like, why would I come train you? I'm busy training my department. I kind of cut my teeth doing EVOC training, law enforcement driver training. I went through that in the academy. I did the same thing. I'm like, do they pay you for this? And they're like, yeah. Well, I said, that's what I want to do. So I ran that unit for about 10 years in Tulsa. Did a lot of cool things. I launched Below 100 back in the day. Some people are familiar with that. And uh, uh, we did a program. We kind of started Below 100 in Tulsa before it became national. We reduced our collisions quite a bit. And one thing led to another. And for to this day, I still get phone calls for people to come train people. And I tell people that I didn't even know that was a business or a thing. I didn't have a website till three or four years ago. I just, the phone would ring and I would go. Uh, uh -huh. But man, it's been a blessing, uh, just a huge blessing. I've met, I've been in 47 states, three countries, met thousands and thousands of police officers. I was just in Arizona last week. Okay. Uh, and just, I meet some of the greatest men and women out there. And it's just such an honor to do. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And, and it's amazing. I was listening to one of your... Um, your interviews before how you said um how many for recruiting uh on how uh and how many officers how many first responders are out there and were actually recruited into the position that they have now and it was through an experience through a calling or something you kind of solidified it there the experience that you had with that ride along changed the direct trajectory of your life to where you said you get paid to do this and now you're you're one of the yeah. the, the foremost leaders here like you said 47 states and three countries. That's an amazing career, along with all the accolades just from a ride along. 
Yeah, that's what I tell people. Your best recruits are every officer. You know, we put a lot of stake in these specialty assignments and these recruiters and this and that. But man, we are our best recruiters and we should be telling people that because uh, it is regardless of what has occurred in the last several years, it's the greatest profession on the planet. We get to do things that people watch, go to go to movies and see and watch on TV. There's a reason why they don't have ride along programs for accountants or lawyers, right? Nobody would go. But in our profession, people want to come see what we do behind the curtain, so to speak. And that has not changed. Everything else may have changed around us, but the job itself and what we do really hasn't changed at its core. Yep, absolutely. So what got you going to jump right over to your book here? What got you to want to write a book on? I know the glare, the lights right there. Sorry, I hope you guys can see it. If not, let me we'll, we'll pick, make sure I put a picture in the uh, description box here or the uh, name field. But what made you decide to write a book? Well, first thing, Clee, I, I didn't want to train in leadership. I, like many people out there listening, have been to the law enforcement leadership classes and everybody mm -hmm. rolls their eyes because we know what they're typically like. I mean, I've been yeah. to all of it, you know, FBI National Academy, mm -hmm. uh, which is great if you want to learn how to drink. Uh, it's a good program. Don't get me wrong. But I mean, a lot of it is, you know, let's face it, if the leadership training actually worked in our profession, we wouldn't be in the state and the profession we are now because we're the most trained with more certificates on our wall than we've ever been. And yeah. we don't exactly do things right all the time. And mm -hmm. so I, I kind of had a sour taste, but I've been through a lot. I mean, I was training for IECP leadership and police organizations. I've done all this stuff. And so the last thing I wanted to do was train in leadership. I was training in uh, tactics and safety risk management. Uh, I still do a class called Seconds for Survival, which is really popular, which talks about pre-attack indicators. I enjoy doing that stuff, but I started seeing uh, post-Ferguson that our profession really, the leadership wasn't prepared for what was happening. And, yeah. and quite frankly, I don't blame them. You know, I mean, we had never dealt with uh, Ferguson and post ever, really. I mean, we, we've always had our detractors. We've always had, but everything kind of seemed to come together. And I saw a lot of us not telling the truth or letting people not tell the truth and you know, where officers weren't necessarily wrong, we were still throwing officers under the, I saw a lot of things going wrong in law enforcement leadership. And I, I'll never forget, I, I drove down to Dallas, Texas and met a friend of mine, Keith Wenzel, who's a retired Dallas officer. And I mm -hmm. talked to him about it and he just really encouraged me. He said, you need to quit complaining. You need to get after it. And so I launched a seminar uh, back about 10 years ago called Courageous Police Leadership. Mm -hmm. And I wrote the book, I started writing in 2017, 2018, but I wrote the book uh, because I, I thought, well, man, not everybody can come to the class. I'll write the book. Maybe I can reach a few other people. And, uh, as you know, you've, you've written books, uh, coach, uh, it's, it was a very arduous task and I'll never forget. You've read the book. So, you know, it's a little bit different than most. Mm -hmm. uh, Cause the last thing I wanted to do was do what everybody else is doing. When you get to leadership, let's face it, we could read a few John Maxwell books, put a few slides together. And a lot of people could talk about this stuff, but I wanted to, I wanted to move leadership from an ideology from our head to our heart to where we would actually yeah. take action because leadership does no good in the book. It does no good if we know it. And so I really wanted to push the envelope and push some buttons to really encourage people to really lead, even if it costs them everything, hence courageous leadership, because sometimes yeah. when you do the right thing, you're punished for it. Right. And yeah. that's why we see so many of our leaders sort of not doing what needs to be done because they're all concerned about their personal safety, which is not leadership. You know, leadership is about serving others even mm -hmm. at your own peril. And so uh, I'll never forget the day before the book was going to be published, my editor contacted me and he said, uh, 
hey, are you sure you want to publish this? And I said, what are you talking about? I've worked three years on this. Pretty yeah. much every weekend for three years, I was holed up in a Starbucks or a coffee shop somewhere pecking away at it. Uh -huh. I said, what are you talking about? Of course I want to publish. He goes, well, Travis, you're still on the job. I don't, I don't necessarily really understood what he was saying, but what he was saying is, man, if you publish this, you may have hell to pay. You're still working in law enforcement. And I said, I said, and yeah, I'd, I'd be lying if I didn't say I was a little bit nervous, but then I thought, man, I just wrote a book called Trade Police Leadership. What kind of person am I if I don't publish the dang thing? Because I'm scared, right? And so we published it. To this day, I'm, I'm still amazed. I get contacted every week about it. Someone has found it. Uh, it's still doing fairly well. And as you know, that's really tough to do in a world out there where there's a lot of stuff, a lot of, a lot of resources for people. So I'm very, very blessed, very honored. Yes, I caught some issues, caught some trouble. Some folks in the media didn't like what I had to say. But it's uh -huh. well, you know, and I tell people to this day, if you don't like what I say, if it's not true, bring it, right? I will I will own it. But if what I say is true and you don't like it, that's not necessarily my issue. So I was very, very careful when I wrote it to make sure we sourced it very, very well, that it wasn't just some you know, emotional piece that it was sourced well. Yeah, yeah, it is cited very well. I, I appreciate you sharing it. I appreciate you being, uh, of course, courageous enough to actually put information out there. I mean, Going uh, explaining things, uh, having courageous police leaders in itself is uh, something that is uh, very. Choose my words carefully. I don't. I don't want to offend anyone at all. But something that it, it will boister a lot of uh, morale all the way around the nation. Uh, if you know that from the ground up and the and the top down, if you're supported, if you know uh, certain things will get handled uh, the correct way each and every time a situation happens. I know you, you uh, addressed that in the book as well, as opposed to a, a, a major incident that would happen in the nation. Uh, let's put a hypothetical one out there. Uh, uh, something big happens and the media jumps on it. And then because the media jumps on it, we automatically come up with an explanation that isn't always not factual, but just going with the court of public opinion and going with that trope and then uh, by the officer who may or may not have been involved in it, it becomes collateral damage due to the lack of the investigation or uh, us not taking our time and getting the, the facts correctly put out there appropriately. Yeah, it's been very frustrating to see that. And we've seen that repeat itself over and over again. You know, Kenosha comes to mind. You know, mm. all the professional sports took a vacation week during that time because they were so outraged by what the media was saying. It took that department eight days. And actually, it wasn't even the department. It was the union mm. eight days to finally come out and say, well, he was reaching for a knife. And this he, he wasn't a peaceful you know, bystander. He was actually this. He's actually that. But it took him eight days. And the frustrating part is they knew eight seconds after that incident. That's that was that was the facts. Yeah. And you're still not going to make people happy, everybody happy by giving the facts out. But the facts are the facts. The and facts. so I, I can never understand why when we have the facts, whether the facts paint us in a good light or a bad light, why we would hold off on that, because everyone else is going to have an opinion. And I would rather have the facts out there. I've seen mm -hmm. this. I've seen this work and be very successful. I've seen areas where there was going to be a riot. Facts got put out and then everybody sort of calmed down. But I don't understand it. Uh, I think we I think that people believe that if they go with the narrative coaches you talked about, that somehow that makes it better and they won't be in a spotlight. But, th but that causes more problems because yeah. at some point that narrative is going to get corrected. It may be all the way to a, to a court or a D.A. or something, as Kenosha was. A D.A. did a press conference on that months later. Mm -hmm. And then you look like a complete buffoon, right? Because you didn't come out and tell the truth. And so uh, 
I just I just have to think that the truth matters. And I think we all just need to, 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 to think about it that way. This this crazy stuff is not difficult. Just tell the truth. Do what's right. But we sometimes we have a very difficult time doing that, even though a lot of people around us aren't telling the truth. That's even more reason for us to tell the truth. And yeah. I just don't understand. It. It's done a lot of damage. And I think it, ultimately it hurts the community because the community just wants the truth. Every community person I've worked from, you know, neighbors were neighborhoods that had no crime to neighborhoods that had some of the highest violent crime you've ever had. They all they all have one thing in common. They want to be safe and they want to be told the truth. So I don't understand why we're so scared of that, why we sort of, you know, placate around the bush and not do it. But I think it would serve us well if we would. Absolutely. I agree with that. I mean, when you talk to community individuals in the community or community leaders, uh, where, where do you think the, the fear or the lack of courage, we'll say, that comes from police leaders to actually take a stand and tell the truth or put that information out there? Why do you think that is? Well, I think there's probably a number of reasons, but the number one reason is uh, there's a playbook in leadership and law enforcement, Coach, and, and nobody really talks about. It, but here's the playbook: don't do a whole lot, don't don't get, don't upset the apple car, don't be too out there on the edge, don't tell don't don't tell the complete truth, whatever the community activists or leaders, and that's not generally speaking for the entire community, but whoever the the talking heads in that community are that are going to city council, they're in the media, just kind of go along with them, go with the flow, keep them happy. And those chiefs can be fairly successful. Like we've seen them hop from one department to the other. I mean, consent decrees are the prime example. What a, I mean, nobody can give you one positive thing that happens here, but you see these chiefs talk great about them and they go from one consent decree city to the other and everyone's getting paid, right? And so they're worried about keeping their job. They're worried about their pension. They're worried about all this stuff. And they're afraid that if they stand up, that they're going to be persecuted. And they may well be persecuted, but, they're going to have to sleep at night. They're going to have to look at their wife and children or husband and children in the eye and, and be a stand-up person. So I think our human nature coach is me, myself, and I. That's every. If you don't believe me, look at a two-year-old. They're about me, myself, and I. These kids come out of the womb kicking and screaming, right? So our nature by God is me, myself, and I. And then when it gets tough, we just want to curl up. And, and we don't even want to fight. We're going to protect ourselves at all costs. So that's really what you're seeing. You're seeing leaders that don't really know what to do. It's going to be difficult to do the right thing. So they just go, I'm going to protect myself, my police department, and my officers be damned. And yeah. so we've got to change the tide because I would just ask people to disagree with me about this. How's that working out for us? There has been more changes to a negative in law enforcement in the last 10 years in their entire history without one court, without one case law changing. No case law, no judge, no court has told us to do some of this stuff, but sometimes we just do it because we get told to do it because we're worried about ourselves and we think it's gonna help us, but what it's doing and oftentimes it's really destroying a, a great, great profession. There's a reason why we have a recruiting problem. There's a reason why we have a retention problem. Mm -hmm. It all comes down to leadership. I don't blame activists. I don't blame social justice warriors. I don't blame the media. No, no, no. I blame us. Our leadership should be able to defend ourselves, hold us accountable when we need to be held accountable, but then defend us when we're right. And then we would know we would be supportive because that's the number one reason cops leave. It's not money and benefits. I, I laugh at the signing bonuses because these people, we actually think that's going to help. No, no. If you make the job impossible, coach, good luck finding somebody to do it. And so we need to turn that around. It starts with just leadership, just lead, do the right thing. In fact, just listen to that advice my dad gave me, treat others the way you want to be treated. And I think it's really that simple, but we sometimes have a hard time doing it. 
Yeah, absolutely. That was that was a like I said, that clip was inspiring. Uh, I remember um, something similar, not exactly verbatim like that. It was early on in my career, wasn't that uh, the um, police academy graduation? Uh, I want to say it was during my first year or so, the FTO in my first department. Uh, simply, he, and he was a retired chief from another department, and he was moonlighting where I'm starting. So he was the perfect FTO because he was already experienced, mm -hmm. and he uh, he uh, everything that he didn't want to do he gave to me and i was all eager for it anyway so we we were the perfect partner but basically he said the same thing you know you know this job is very easy you just do unto others as you want them to do unto you if you show if you what kind of cop would you want showing up to your house on your worst day of your life that's the kind of cop that you need to be and i was like wow that stuck with me i'm thinking all this training all this uh schooling all this knowledge all these certificates I'm, i want to learn everything i want to be the best and that right there was solid information yeah, and leadership goes all the way down to the line officer. We sometimes think rank matters. Now, just because you take your clothes to the dry cleaners and get a strap sewn on, that means nothing, right? So it goes down to every officer. I had the blessing that when I broke out on my own coach, I worked with a guy by the name of Walt Milner. Now, nobody here listening will have heard of Walt Milner. You may have heard of the last name Milner because they've done some documentaries on it. Uh, Walt Milner was one of the was uh, an African American officer, one of the first African Americans in some of our special units. He was. My, he was basically my age when I started. He was in his 50s and he purposely worked nights so he could mentor us younger officers. He didn't have to. He could have day shift weekends off. Uh -huh. You would have never known it by talking to him, but his young daughter at the age of seven was one of the Girl Scout murders here in Oklahoma. It's, it's kind of a it's mm -hmm. talking. There's a lot of documentaries out there on it. She was brutally killed and uh, it destroyed Walt, obviously destroyed his personal life, destroyed him as a person. But you never know it. He knew the importance of leadership. And when I talked about what my dad said, that was reiterated by being around Walt, the greatest leader, one of the greatest leaders I've ever been around. The guy didn't have any rank and he there is no telling the legacy he left because it wasn't just me that he impacted. It was it was hundreds and hundreds of other people and uh, just an incredible guy. In fact, Walt retired at about 57 years old. And tragically, as we hear, he had a heart massive heart attack a few months later. We hear that too much in this profession. Yeah. But yeah, I wouldn't be who I wouldn't. I dare say I wouldn't be sitting here today. I wouldn't be who I am as a father, as a man, as a police officer without Walt Milner. So if Walt Milner can do it with no rank, no status, no nothing, just a street cop, everybody listening could be like Walt, could do just the same thing. And 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 I think we think in this profession because we have this military hierarchy system that it's not me, it's them. Let's 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 just let's just complain and let's just stay in our lane because that me myself and I is not just the chief. It goes all the way down. I say mm -hmm. that if we had a handful of Coach Clees or a handful of Walt Milners or a few more Travis's, not too many because it would be too crazy. If we had a few more of these people out there, man, it would change everything. That's how we change the profession for the better, Coach. Hmm. Interesting point. Yeah, I believe it. I know, uh, like you said, seeing officers out there with no rank out there making it happen because they, they love the job, they love the people. And like you said, we, there there wouldn't be a recruiting and retention problem uh, nationwide for for some of the if more officers, no matter what rank, would step up also and be that leader. Uh, what would you suggest to departments? I know that you you see you got the the hiring bonuses, you got the um, the incentives for um, work a certain amount of years, take home cards. All the incentives are out there. 
What would you suggest to a college uh, student who's getting ready to graduate uh, college or high school soon or the military? They're getting ready to get out of the military and they kind of got that calling. They kind of got that niche where they're like, yeah, I kind of want to get in law enforcement. But right now, the state of the nations are like, it's not the most popular thing. I don't know if I want to do this or not. What kind of advice would you give them? Well, I say that's, you know, it's it's calling by God to do it. If they feel the need to do it, they're not going to be happy until they do it to serve. Yeah. And I think you have to be careful. You know, you, you, you've got to you've got to select a department or an agency that, you know, will support you, support you when you do the right thing. When I say support, I don't mean when you do the bad, wrong thing, but when you do the right thing that you're supported, because that's the big fear. I talk to cops all day long and they're like, I'm scared to do anything. I'm scared to stop people. I'm scared to do this because they feel like they're not supported. Now, how do you know that? Well, you can't look at the website and the and the fancy videos because everybody's giving you their best side. You have to investigate that agency, not only at that time and at that time, but look down the road 10, 20, 30 years. Because 20 years ago, Seattle and Portland were great agencies to work in. Things change. So I think you have to look at that agency, that organization, talk to people there, make sure that there's that support structure there that because leadership is it's culturally if you've got good sound leadership in a department today more than likely there's other leaders that's going to step up very very solid in the future because that's you know it's unfortunately if you have bad leadership it's hard to turn the tide because of that because bad leaders promote other bad leaders and it's just this weird weird incestual time that we're it's hard it's hard to turn the page so you have to investigate that department more than a website and you have to kind of look at the community and say does this community value value safety this community value what our goals are because if your goals and the community's goals are not the same as we know it can yeah. be trouble and those and really those goals are pretty simple do people want to be safe and will they support those that are trying to make them safe so you have to really look at it pretty hard and investigate it and uh and i because i don't think bonuses matter because all you're doing when you offer bonuses they're going to skip from your department to the next department to the next department because if there's not solid leadership there people aren't going to stay and so i just think they need to do it there's a lot of really good departments in this country but they need to really investigate those agencies to make sure. And if they have a question, I've been to a lot of them. I've actually thought about making making a list of good and bad, but I haven't done that yet. Uh, but when you talk to people inside the department, they're going to give you a really good feel of what it's like. Yeah. Interesting. I, if you ever did decide to make uh, write that list, I'd love to, to check it out just to, just to yeah. see. That would be very interesting. But I can see also how can that – who others will be offended by that too. So I mean, well, I've, I've hesitated because it has to be research based. So I've got to get, I've got to, I've got to work that out in my head and have some certain guidelines uh, to, it can't just be an opinion. Right. So I, it's a, it's a pretty big task. I'm not sure who would pay attention to it, but I think it matters because I actually get that question a lot. I was at a, I was at a concert a couple of weeks ago and the parents, they got to talk and they just flat asked me, you know, if my kid wants to be a police officer, should they? And I had to have this same conversation with them. Well, absolutely. But it's not it's not just a matter of going to who has the best pay or the best pension. You need to really investigate that agency in that community. Yep. Yep. Good advice. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, stand by. We will be right back. We got a little two minute inter uh, commercial interlude and we're going to jump right back into this interview. This is a good drink. I like this place. I like it, too. Mario, let me get another one. Well, uh, geez, Louise, you guys each had enough. Hey, guys. Don't you guys look nice? Now your fools wanna show off. She's talking to me. No, dummy. She's talking to me. You wanna see me outside? I'll see you now.
They're fighting over me. Hey, you guys need to break it up. You're wrecking my place. Hey, Sergeant Berrasefa, I need your head now. Welp, I got a few pics of them. I'm out. Your foes knocked each other out. A Megan, don't you live? Looks like we're right on time again. I don't understand why you guys are fighting. I just saw Megan leaving. Was it for that? It's because she liked my profile picture. We're connected. Insta talk. Sounds like she played both of you. Isn't that right, Kraken? Sergeant the best safe. Captain Chaos, you guys saved the day again. You guys are the true heroes. Thank you, Mario. We appreciate it. Once again, these two are going back to jail. Part of their punishment is they're going to have to pay for all of these damages. Uh. And that's your tip of the day to get you on your way. And there it is, another fun one by Sergeant B. Safe that were voiced by active duty first responders or law enforcement. Uh, most of them don't want me to give them the accolades uh, on the show. So therefore, you know, give them their props. I appreciate them. I appreciate that their service that they do. Uh, they don't have to do that because it's totally 100% voluntary. And so when they come on here and they share their vocal talents, you know, tell them thank you. If you guys know them, those of you that are local, you guys know them, give them a shout out. We're jumping right back here in this interview. We got Dr. Travis Yates. We've had wonderful conversations so far, and we're going to continue on moving. Make sure you check out his book, The Courageous Police Leader. It's on Amazon. I got mine. I got a copy on Amazon. I got another one uh, special delivered by him, and I appreciate that one. I got to read it. It's very interesting. It's very informative. Uh, one thing that I took from the book is the next question I'm going to ask or just a little bit of insight on it. And it makes perfect sense just by working the job, working the beat, uh, dealing with platoons and, and having others on the platoon. Is the, the sheriff, what's his name? I wrote his name down. Sheriff uh, Hoffman from Kansas. Yeah. He has that 10 minute rule on a yeah. call. So even if it's a major call or let's say a minor call, like an alarm or something very minor, yeah, you stand there, engage with whoever you're you're with in that 10 minute role find out who they are what they just that, that interaction that means so much and i was like wow that i don't know why that one resonated with me but i, I said I, I definitely have to bring that up what what made how did you find that information out and if you talk to him why where, where did that information come from and be such a game changer well, first off, Coach, I don't know if you need a redneck in your videos there, but I'm, I'm available. I don't know if anybody could understand me, but my voice is always available. So great stuff, by the way. If you see you see the Venmo stuff, you got to help my man out. This is I'm amazed at all the stuff you're doing, man. I'm, I'm jealous almost, so keep it up. Thank you. you. Know, uh, the, the Sheriff, Sheriff Hoffman was pretty powerful. He had uh, hired me for uh, two or three years in a row to come up and teach leadership. And I was – I mean, he, he has a fairly small sheriff's department. Uh, I would say, you know, 20 to 30 swarm, but he was committed to every year. He wanted to expose this, uh, these men and women to leadership. And I, maybe it was year two I was up there and I'm talking. I have a whole section on community policing and because that is the most I say that's the last thing I talk about, because that is the most important thing without our community. 
we're really ineffective because it's the community that calls 911. It's the community that helps us in investigations, the community that is that gives us the eyewitness stuff. I mean, you really can't affect crime without the community. I don't think we talk about it enough. We don't give them enough credit. And so mm -hmm. I'm in there kind of railing about that stuff. And I had this guy in the back and I'll never forget. He raised his hand up and I was like, well, yeah, what, what do you need? And he goes, well, we got the 10 minute rule. That's all he said. And I said, <laughs> you got what? He said, yeah, yeah, we, we do that. We do the 10 minute rule. Like I was supposed to know what it meant. And I said, what's 10 minute rule? And he says, oh, when we go to a call, regardless of the call, when we get done with the call, we're required to stay 10 more minutes at the call. And I come from a major agency. We're running call to call to call. And that was a foreign concept to me. Now we've got the community policing units and we got the PAL programs, right? That's who does community policing, of course. And I was like, what? you do what he's like yeah we we stay 10 more minutes we're required and i said well, what do you do in 10 minutes and he goes we just talk to him we talk about sports we talk about family we just talk to him and just as it impacted you it blew me away and here i was you know i thought i knew a little bit about police stuff because i've been doing it 25 26 years at the time and the sheriff was in the back of the room because you know you really understand what a good department is is when not only the sheriff brings the training in but he goes to the training because we all emulate the leaders and right and uh and i said well i said how did that how did you like it at first and the kid goes we hated it we thought it was the dumbest thing ever i said how do you like it now and he says the greatest thing we ever did the sheriff's wow. just back taking his head and it, it really it, it kind of brought community policing full throttle because it's, it's not a new concept you know we, everybody likes to reinvent these words whether it's community policing or all this stuff none of that's new robert peel uh talked about all this stuff the police are the people the people are the police yes but we we for some reason in law enforcement we like the shiny objects we like the big programs we like the big media events we like to say we're doing all these things but when it comes down to it if we just stayed and talked to people mm -hmm. not about the worst day of their life or about police stuff we just talk to people like people do it could yeah. change the world and it changed that county it changed that community it changed those officers but what if we just did that now you know probably not possible at every place at every time but if we're honest about it no matter how busy we are coach we have a little bit of time between calls you know yep. and 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 that's why you know i think if you go back 50 years or so we had our issues in law enforcement no doubt but when you have the foot beats and we were in the communities, we were walking in the barbershops, we were talking to people, we were engaging with people. And then we had this smart idea to put everybody in a car, roll the window up, put them in a car, we don't talk to people anymore. There's a lot of value in just doing that. And that resides at every single police officer. And if our leaders would just support them in doing that, it'd be pretty powerful. I launched a downtown unit about 10 years ago. We call it the impact unit, it's still around, but our downtown in Tulsa became like a lot of downtowns in big cities, a lot of events. A lot of people coming down, a lot of tourists coming down, and we still had the same. I'll never forget, I was commander over the division. The first day I went on ride along, and I'm mm -hmm. downtown. It's like a Tuesday, and all these people are all over the place. I said, last time I've been downtown, it was like nothing but newspaper boys and, and homeless people. But all of a sudden, they built an arena, and they had all these hotels going on. Uh -huh. How many beat officers did we have down here? And the guy goes, same officer we've always had. I said, you got one beat officer? Yeah, same officer we had in the 1970s. We've got the same spot. We've never changed. And so we ended up putting four officers down there we put we, we cut it up in quadrants and i did something that they thought was radical at the time i gave them all a business card all a phone all an email and i said i want you to walk into every business introduce yourself talk to them give them your contact information time uh -huh. drastically reduced based on that alone because people felt comfortable contacting them when there were problems
Mm-hmm. And so this stuff's not complicated, but we mm-hmm. get caught up in all the fancy stuff, right? All the technology, all the fancy stuff. And I think there's a lot, lot to what the sheriff was doing, and it really inspired me. Yeah. Hey, hey, now again, I, I read, I'm like, it's, it's so simple. And I think I actually through uh, a lot of our, a lot of departments actually do it uh, uh, more times than not. Uh, uh, is give or take the type of call, give or take the call volume. Just sticking around, I I know a bunch of guys that I've seen get out and and uh, jump on the skateboard, play basketball, throw the football with the yeah. kids, and walk through the school. We'll stop in a class and and we'll actually give like a two minute lecture on whatever the topic is, and it, it's fun for us because it breaks up the monotony, but it's also needed because then community members, community leaders, the public, they see us out there engaging, and it's it's uh, one hand washes the other, and both wash the face and. You, you see how beneficial it is, of course, when you're on another call, a very serious call, and then th- that one person comes up to you and like, hey, um, I have your email address. Can I email you this information? I think you might find this information very beneficial to this situation. I don't want to talk to you right now, but I will pass that information on to you. And you're like, wow, that all started from just going into a classroom and, and shaking kids' hands. Right. No, it matters a lot. We have a lot of men and women that do it. And uh, I think we need to get back to those basics, so to speak, because it's powerful stuff, Coach. It really is. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you this. We talk about community leaders and we talk we talk about uh, reform. We talk about um, coffee. Uh, what is it? Cop, shop with a cop. Coffee right. Coffee with a cop. Don't, donuts with that. I forget all the names. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm probably butchering it. Uh, but regardless, um, and I, I've said this in other interviews, like you said, most community, they want the truth. They don't want the gimmicks all the time. They don't want to always have to come out for these these shows. They're, they're nice to put on. They're interesting. They're fun. And they'll get, again, they break things up. But most times, just basic real-life co- uh, communication back and forth on what, what's going on. And like you said earlier in the interview, that could actually halt a lot of the reforms that are going on or the, a lot of the, the push for the court of public opinion to change the way we do things before they actually have their eyes open and see what actually is going on in our world and how we operate. Man, I'm sorry, Coach. What's the question specifically about that? Uh, I didn't, I was just going on the topic going back you. you know and the funny thing about all those things is the same people show up at all of them right if you have the yeah. copy of mcdonald's once it's the same people they're very pro-police they're very police friendly but that's not necessarily the people we ought to be spending time with every month right right so the lead into that you also talk about in your book on statistics um uh, there was a group uh, that wanted to find out why a certain demographic of people were always being so i believe it was in new jersey uh, we're always being stopped on the highway at this time of day or for whatever reason. And then the statistics came out. And once the statistics came out, it kind of put, which would have uh, uh, quelled that argument, that information wasn't allowed to be put out and shared amongst the public or the news, the media itself. How often have you seen that in your career where information, you know, would be very alarming and very positive and very know-all be uh, shut down and hush-hush per, for lack of a better word? almost every day at every police department. I'll give you a prime example. I know of, I believe one department in the country that does what I have been saying for the last 15 years. I talked about it in my seminars because we have disparities, a coach in this country. We have disparities in law enforcement. We have disparities in healthcare. 
We have disparities in prison. We all know that. That's been talked about a lot. And I don't like disparities, but to immediately point fingers at law enforcement for disparities without looking into why the disparities are happening is a huge problem. And this profession has been utterly destroyed because we've been unable to discuss these disparities. And disparities happen for a myriad of reasons, right? I mean, 75% of the prison population has uh, men with the group without a father. Doesn't mean yeah. if you grow up without a father that you're going to be a criminal. It just means they have some hurdles to climb. And so there's more fatherless uh, children that end up committing crimes than not. Uh, mm -hmm. Same thing with poverty. Poverty ends up, unfortunately, driving crime. Lack of education, reading scores. There's a lot of stuff that starts off very young in people's lives that puts them, puts them in this high-risk category where they sometimes end up with criminal behavior. I'm not... And I have, I have sort of matured on this issue over the years. These aren't necessarily bad people, Coach. I had every opportunity as a child to be a good person. I had uh -huh. two parents that loved me. I had good education. I had a support structure around me. So if I ended up being a criminal, I had there was that that'd be ridiculous, right? So I really was sort of set up in life to mm -hmm. be a semi-successful person. But a lot of a lot of kids, a lot of young men, don't have that opportunity. So we shouldn't judge them harshly. But we also shouldn't just point at law enforcement and say it's our fault because of all those things going on. And, and the biggest disparity that has driven almost every reform in law enforcement, and we took many, very few people can even talk about it, is the disparity on police stops, police arrest, and police use of force against African-Americans. And this is how they do it. From the DLJ to activist groups, to even some law enforcement folks, is they compare police activity to the population. And that's, Ridiculous. There is not a researcher, and I've done a lot of research in my life. I've got my doctorate. One, one reason I got it is I wanted to learn how to do this stuff. There's not a researcher that would use that methodology because you can't compare activity to a population. You can't compare a restaurant to population, a church to population, can't compare the NFL or hockey to a population. It's just it's a disparity, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and 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 but when you compare law enforcement activity to crime, which is our end customer, so to speak. Yeah. Every department that I've done this for, the numbers have been dead even, right? So you end up in Louisville where they just got a federal consent decree and the consent decree the first starts off with that they're, they use they use force against 75% African-Americans, but they're only 24% in the population or something like that. And so they're racist. Well, you got to look a little deeper than that because the only people you use force on are the people that you arrest. So if that's the case, then you look at who you're arresting and who's committing the crimes, so to speak. And I don't mm -hmm. like the fact that Sometimes in some cities, racial ethnic groups are committing crimes at higher rates. That's not that doesn't soothe my soul at all. Mm -hmm. I'm speaking in a city right now, coach, to where my son, who's going to shock some of you, is white. I know it's don't I don't want to shock you, but my son has a seven times less chance in the city I set in to be shot and killed just because of the color of his skin. African American children in my city are seven times more likely to be murdered. That mm -hmm. makes me sick to my stomach. But that's not that's not a police issue, so to speak. There's a lot of other things going on. So because of that crime, we're interacting with more African-Americans because of the violent crime. And there are a lot of urban cities like this. We ought to be being very serious and talking about this. But every time someone talks about it, they're going to get blasted. Right. I, I talked about fatherless homes and the issue in, in law enforcement one time. And you thought I'd you, who know? I mean, they was it, the media came at me like because when you tell these truths, it takes it away. And you, yeah. I'm going to come back to your question. How can departments use data? It's easy. On your website, you have all the data. Don't let someone else define your data. Put mm -hmm. the race, ethnicity of the people that you're arresting and stopping. 
Then right next to it, put the population. Don't be scared of that. But then right next to that, put the race ethnicity of people committing part one crimes. Hmm. People that are victims of part one crimes, people that are committing part one crimes. And the reason part one crimes is important is we don't invent those crimes. Those are yeah. a real victim that calls us and we go investigate it. Rape, robbery, assault, arson, homicide, right? Mm-hmm. We don't control those crimes. You need to put those on the website for people to see because it gives context to this disparity. Mm-hmm. Now, if the part one crimes and the arrest are off, you may have a problem. But don't tell me that arrest and population is the only number we're looking at because that is out of context. And so all the department has to do is they don't have to give any narrative. They don't have to give an opinion. Just put the data out there for people to see because they all have the data, Coach. They yeah. all have. And, yeah. I, and they say, I, well, I can't do that. Why not? You're letting other people make you think you're racist. Just put the data out there and let the public see it because most people are pretty smart. They just want to see transparency. Mm-hmm. And and I think they're scared of having to explain why that is. That's not our explanation to have. Uh, we no. ought to be involved in social groups and groups to help men be fathers and groups to help single mothers. And we ought to be involved in groups to help rehabilitate people. We, we ought to be involved in our schools to help these kids. We ought to be involved at young ages and we are in a lot of places. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, if they end up encountering law enforcement as committing a crime, it's not our fault that they got there. We just have to do our job. And so that yeah. fact right there, if there was one thing we could do as leaders from a data standpoint is we need to tell people the truth about the data, because that's why you, you'll hear this constantly. I challenge you every time you hear somebody talking about this department or this reform, they're all talking about population. And mm-hmm. in my class, I, I, I break it down pretty simple. I said, who's subject to, to who's subject that you're going to use force on tonight? And most people don't know what to say. No, if you walk in the convenience store, are you just going to walk up and, and bash somebody with your baton? I don't know if that's a thing now, but I'm owed. And they're like, well, no. I said, well, what would cause you to use force? Well, they're committed a crime and they're resisting arrest. Yeah, exactly. So you have to compare our activity to those mm-hmm. at crime. And what scares me about us not doing it, Coach, is we don't really know if we have a problem in our department as far as racial profiling or whatever by not doing that. We don't know. So we mm-hmm. need to know those numbers because not every department's perfect. We certainly could have issues out there. I know the departments that have personally asked me to run the numbers, they've been pretty much right on the spot, you know, within a half percent, so to speak. Right. But it'd be an issue. But if we don't know those numbers, we don't know that. We just think we know. And mm-hmm. so that's a pretty easy thing to do. The FBI collects that information. Every department is required to collect that information. I don't know why we don't report it. In fact, I've had departments later that say that they report they they report the stops and arrest and population they won't report the other ones i said why and I, I don't i don't know why but that may be going along with the narrative because when you do that the people that are taking advantage of that out of context data aren't going to be happy right yeah and, uh, and so sometimes we placate that and we'd all just be very transparent and very true i think the public deserves that and then mm-hmm. I think once we do that coach we can start talking about how can we correct that because we should want mm-hmm. to correct that yeah uh, you know, we really should. That's a long answer for what you asked. I apologize for that. No, no need to apologize at all. It was very, very crafted. Uh, you, you, what what we needed, you put it out there, you laid it out there. And it's very easy. Again, transparency is key, right. honestly, for so many different departments in, nas- in nationally known or na- national. I'm sorry, uh, just for na- departments nationally uh, already. Getting my, I told you it happens at the beginning and toward the end where I get tongue tied during these live interviews. And well, a lot of times, a lot of times, what our departments do, and I've seen this, is they'll hire a consultant. The University of Cincinnati does this for departments, but they'll come in and do what I just said. 
and they'll pay him lots of money and they'll do a report. Well, you know, that report is like, okay, maybe, maybe not. It's not trusted. But why, why do we need to do that? The data is from the Department of Justice. Just release the data to the public. Yep. We got uh, Jamon, Jimmy Jamon on here. Nelson saying that was a great answer. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Jimmy. I don't get a lot of commendations. Usually I get people yelling back at me when I talk about this stuff because, unfortunately, there is a segment in society. It's a small segment that there's a, you know, there's a sort of an incentive to keep us appearing to be what we not oftentimes and we've right. been really able to sort of combat that i just think the truth matters but the truth out there a lot of people will realize it yep and i'm going to take you up on your offer that you said a few minutes ago as well that uh the next sergeant be safe uh cartoon that's under development i'll develop a character and and, and you, you can do that voiceover for him I no think one's going to understand me coach but i'll do whatever you want me to man i really i'll do whatever you want trust me whatever you need i'll do for you I appreciate it. I appreciate it. And with that, we're going to segue. We're going to jump right out to another cartoon here, and we're going to come right back to uh, wrap up this interview. So don't go anywhere. Stand by and stay tuned. All right. We'll be right back. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice. Hello, Sergeant B. Safe, Captain Chaos. I'm your new district attorney, Justin Case. Hello, Justin Case. Nice to meet you. Yes, it's a pleasure. I'm glad we're all on the same team. Yes, locking up bad guys. Let's go inside the courthouse and see the judge. We have bad guys to put away. You are absolutely right. Let's go inside and get to work. All rise. I am the Honorable Judge Mint. Good morning, Your Honor. Attorneys, present your closing arguments. I'm a defense attorney, Scott Free, and my guys didn't do it. The proof has been laid out, Judge. Sergeant B. Safe and Captain Chaos caught these guys red-handed. What you mean, red-handed? Order in the court! I find these three guilty on all counts. Ooh. Well, I'm out of here. I'm innocent. I didn't sell crap. What do you mean, crap. guilty? I don't hack. Urgh. Good work. Yes. Job well done, team. I just want to say good job to our brand new district attorney, Justin Case. And from me and Captain Chaos, that's your tip of the day to get you on your way. There you have it, Sergeant B. Safe and his new district attorney, Justin Case. But well, we're jumping right back into this interview, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Uh, I had an electrifying, very entertaining, very educational interview with Dr. Travis Gates here. And specifically, if anyone wanted to hire you or get you to come to a training in their area, how would they go about doing that? If they wanted to purchase your books, how would they go about doing that? First off, Captain Chaos is my kind of guy. So I'm thinking Major Payne needs to come alongside him on your next one. That's good stuff. Oh, oh. Uh, 
Thanks, 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 thanks for asking that, Coach. Actually, uh, my website's pretty easy, travisyh.org, uh, and that contact will get routed over to me. And and I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, that's probably you know I, I have on Facebook and stuff, but that's not real great for business yeah. and all that. So LinkedIn is I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. I'm actually on Instagram, Travis J. Yates. And uh, but yeah, my website will route you there. And uh, I do a number of seminars. Uh, the main the main ones I do. I mean, I do. I have a couple of leadership seminars out there. I have the Courageous Police Leader and the Courageous Police Agency, where I talk about what agencies can do. And then, of course, the leadership ones about individuals. It's all it's for all ranks. In fact, it's probably a little more popular with the uh, with the lower to mid ranks because some of these guys, you know, I've, some of these chiefs, I, they don't necessarily want to hear what I have to say. I get it. They're kind of set in their ways. But that's how we change things by getting to all the ranks. And then, of course, the books are at all the major uh, booksellers online. Amazon's probably the biggest one out there. But uh, even if you, you know, you can't bring me in or whatever, I'll still do whatever I can to help you. Just reach out. If you got any questions, I'll try to reach out. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for making yourself so available. And like you said, the, the website is scrolling below. You see it, TravisYates.org. And it's also in the comment section on every uh, platform that we're streaming on, except LinkedIn. LinkedIn won't let me uh, uh, um, put comments in the comments section when I'm on a multiple platform. So, but you see it scrolling below. So make sure you guys check that out. Uh, make sure you guys reach out to him. Make sure you guys purchase that book because uh, it's very needed. It was a very good read. It was a very good read. And like Shayla and said, I'll, listen, I'll be with Tom Rizzo in February. You got to come up and see us. We're up in Nevada. So I'll, I'll see you there. I see you had Tom on earlier. Good, 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 good yeah. guy, man. Good guy. We actually got to meet face to face about two weeks ago here when he yeah. came up here to do his training. So that'd be a lot of fun. And like and Shayla said, you, you just did. You named your own character Major Pain. I like that, too. <laughs> interesting fun we're gonna have to de develop that character get you on there but through the course of conversation we we had a wonderful interview i may have forgot to ask a question or i may have jogged your memory and information that you wanted to put out there and share with us uh if there, is there anything else that you would like to put out there right now the floor is yours well i would just say this coach uh i know that many of you listening have have endured a lot of stuff you know uh we uh, even if you haven't, you're probably working in an agency where you're working a lot of overtime because of staffing or concerns or things like that. I would really caution people to listen to the hype, right? Listen to social media, listen to their friends. When you gets down to it, they still have an opportunity to make more impact on their community than really any other profession because the job itself hasn't changed. Uh, there's, there's one group of men and women on American soil that's designed between to stand between good and evil, and it's you. And you have a finite amount of time to do that, right? We're not going to all do this forever. At some point, that's going to come to an end. And mine just did for 30 years. And, and probably, uh, you know, I, I knew it was time. But, man, I'll tell you, you don't get it back, right? I mean, so right. make, make the most out of every single day. Uh, because you never know when, when one day, you know, God's going to have other plans for you. Yeah. And I've, I've talked to so many men and women that, Kind of look back and go i could have done more i could have done this or i should have done that don't let that be you right do like everything you do do for this profession do for the, your community and serving others and and coach you're a prime example i mean you're you got all kinds of things going on because you're making the most out of your time and not everybody has your talents i certainly don't have your talents not everybody can do what i do but everybody has been gifted by god certain talents and abilities and that's not just being the street cop going 911 calls. They've given you other opportunities and abilities. Maybe it's speaking or communication or writing or impacting people by coaching a sports team or whatever it is. Or maybe you're volunteering in your church. 
take advantage of that because as the bible says man this life goes by very very quickly and and we're all going to look back going man where'd the time go well when you get when you look back and say where the time go you you can also say i did everything i could everything god put in front of me i went full force don't be worried don't be scared don't be timid don't just be the retired cop on duty do everything you can do to make a difference because you're in a profession that can actually make a difference if you don't believe me talk to your friends in the cubicle or talk to your lawyers or accountant buddies or the people that's, that's at a machine factory i mean yeah in their in their world they're making a difference but you get to actually make a difference that lasts for generations i'll, I'll tell you about a story i saw an officer outside of a, a school one day his his name is monty morris i tell this i tell this in my seminars and monty uh -huh. morris is just a a police officer i say just a police officer no rank no nothing i saw him walking little kids across the street i, I, I banked near there and i saw him doing this more than one day it's about three o'clock and so i stopped and talked to one of the parents i said do you know officer morris over there and she literally started breaking up in tears and said monty morris used to walk me across the street when i was a little girl monty morris has changed generations by getting out of his car every day on his beat and making sure little kids cross that street safely. Mm -hmm. That act alone has done has done more for that community in that area than probably any fancy program or any police chief or anybody that me or you could do. One police officer, one act that involved caring and empathy and concern and just treating little kids right and making sure that they had somebody to take care of them each day that was his role in life and what if everybody took that mantle up you know they may not all be that role but what if everybody said i can do this and and they did it it would change the world coach we got it we got a lot of problems in our world but yeah. it starts right there it doesn't start by looking at a politician it doesn't start by looking at your cheap it starts right there with you hmm. man I, <laughs> like like jimmy jamon said right here <laughs> Great closing speech, very informative and energetic. Come on, I, 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 I talk way too much. I apologize, man. I really do. I wanted to hear the coach talk. You got to, I'm going to interview you, coach, so I can hear you talk. Oh, man, I don't know. I, I'm used to going, I get tongue-tied. I'm, I'm already nervous. I can't follow up with that. I, I, we definitely well, if, have to I did mention this, but if you can go to my website and everything branches off from there. I write a weekly article on Substack. You can get those sent to you. And, uh, and you don't have to hear me talk, you can just read it. And then I've got a podcast I do once a week. And uh, we talk about topics that very few people are talking about, because I think we, if we don't talk about it, we're not gonna fix anything. And so right. I'll take the arrows for talking about it, because I think it really needs to be discussed, a lot of these issues, so we can actually change things. Sure, so your podcast, where, what uh, platform are you using and what day and time do you go live? Oh, I'm, uh, I'm using Buzzsprout, but it, it spreads everywhere. It's actually not on Apple for some reason. I can't, but it's everywhere else, right? I usually listen to it on Spotify, uh, but it's at all the different platforms. It's uh, Courageous Leadership with Travis Yates. You just type my name and it usually pops up. But uh, we interview a lot of people, a lot of people doing the right things and, and kind of give examples of what leadership is. And then sometimes I just I just go on a rift to you know, and just start talking about something that needs to be talked about. But uh, I enjoy doing it. Uh, and it's about all I can do technology wise because it's not video or anything, but you can just pop it on in the car and listen or whatever. But if you go to the main website, everything kind of branches off from there. You'll find that stuff. Gotcha. Perfect. Definitely going to have to check that out. And thank you. Travis, I appreciate you making that. I don't want to monopolize too much of your time. I know you're very busy and got a lot of things going on. I appreciate the, uh, the invite to Nevada. 
Uh, for you and, and, and Tom Rizzo, I, I, that training sounds like it'll be amazing. I'm definitely going to have to look into that. Coach, uh, if you come to Nevada, I, I got your plane ticket. I got your plane ticket if you come to Nevada. It's a four-day leadership conference in Eureka, Nevada, in the middle of nowhere. It's the best leadership conference of the year. Guarantee Sheriff Jesse Watts is putting it on. I've talked up there before. It's the best leadership training you'll get anywhere in the country. I know you don't get your challenge coins and all your fancy stuff, but it is the best leadership. Some of you know what I'm talking about. It's the best leadership training you're going to get. And, Coach, I will take care of your airfare to get you over to Reno. I'll even pick you up and drive you over there. And we'll spend all week together. So let's get after it. And that, that, that like that, the, the Godfather said, that's an offer that you can't refuse, right? <laughs> you may even be able to get on duty time for that. You never know. You just got to yeah. ask. Yeah, absolutely. I got to put, put that slip in. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for coming on. I, I enjoyed having you on here. Very fun, very exciting. Uh, I, I appreciate everything that you do. I appreciate the book. And the, just to watch you flourish. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to it to be a part of the training. Uh, I'm getting uh, you. You sparked it now. He'll be there. <laughs> Let's go, Coach. I see you guys. <laughs> now, Thank Coach, you. I, listen, I, you've done amazing stuff, man. And I know you, we don't like to acknowledge that. I know you don't. I'm so impressed, my man. I, I'm so impressed. I'm so honored to be here. Uh, you're inspiring me. So thank you so much. Thank you for what you do. Uh, the impact you make, you'll never, you know, we're never going to know our impact on this, on this side of eternity, because, you know, most people aren't going to be able, you're not going to be able to meet a lot of those folks, but man, what you're doing is very, very important and powerful. And I'm so proud to just get to chat with you here for a little bit. Thank you. Thank you. Again, you guys know, I don't know how to take count. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much. I, I really do gratefully appreciate it. And ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, thank you guys for watching Black and Blue. Again, we go live weekly at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And when we go live, we bring on a guest who's in law enforcement or a first responder, whether they're uh, rookie season or uh, uh, retirees. And we talk about their trainings, experiences, and publications. And we didn't fall short today. We had a, a very edu edutainment educational and entertaining show going back to back and hand in hand with Travis Yates. Make sure you guys check out his website, check out his podcast, check out his trainings, order his book. You will learn. You will not regret it. I appreciate you, Darren. I see you on there. Thank you for tuning in. I appreciate you guys. All of you, any of you watching the replay, any of you who are watching, make sure you hit that like button. Make sure you share that. We got to get this content out there because our attempt is to humanize the badge and get this information out. Thank you guys for tuning in. I, again, am your host, Coach Clay. I'm your motivational speaker, your empowerment coach, your author, and your favorite baker's favorite baker, saying 10-4, over and out. Captain Chaos, did you mess up another report again? Sorry, Sergeant Be Safe. I'll try to be more, uh, careful. What in the world was that? Whoa, look out the window, Captain Chaos. There's a real live superhero. We have to meet them, Sergeant Be Safe. Let's go. There's Super Prime Buster to the rescue. Hey, there's Super Crime Buster! Woohoo! Hey, you're the greatest Super Crime Buster. Yeah, we know Super Crime Buster's out there. We're actually on the way, but we keep getting phone calls. Excuse me, Super Crime Buster. 
I'm Sergeant B. Safe, and this is my partner, Captain Chaos. We'd like to thank you for your incredible bravery. Yeah, you're amazing. We're big fans. Wait, you are the police officers, but not the superheroes? No, we're just ordinary officers doing our duty. But we may not have superpowers, but we're heroes in our own way. You're right. The heroes don't always wear capes or possess superhuman abilities. It's the everyday heroes like you who make a difference. Thank you, Super Crime Buster, for that reminder. You are absolutely 100% correct. To all the first responders and law enforcement officers, take it from me and Captain Chaos. We applaud you. We know you do a thankless job and are highly needed. You are a superhero in your own right. Keep up the good work in these perilous times because you are needed. Wouldn't you agree, Kraken? And that's your tip of the day to get you on your way.